<laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I tell you what, um, how many of you really enjoyed the worship this morning? Praise the Lord. Were you really blessed during that time of worship? And I, I tell you what, uh, that last song, Waymaker, boy, it really hits home, doesn't it? Um, as Francis said, even when I don't see it, you're working. I don't have to see it. I know God. God is working. I don't have to feel it to know that God is working because he's a way maker. He's a promise keeper. He's a miracle worker. Amen. He's the light in the darkness. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. And he's able to save to the utmost. Amen. So our feelings should not be allowed to lie to us or manipulate us into believing anything less than what the Bible has revealed to be true about our God. Amen? As y'all know, we're doing uh, the I Am's statements of Jesus uh, leading into the Easter service. And today, you might notice, those of you who have your bulletins, uh, uh, most of the verses, you know, the verses that we'll be going uh, over are in that uh, for your convenience. Uh, the scripture verses will be displayed on the screen uh, for anyone who needs them. But uh, we're primarily going to be in the Gospel of John chapter 6. And the I Am statement of Jesus that we'll be covering today is Jesus declaring of himself, I am the bread of life. The bread of life. Now, in English, the word life is just life. I mean, you say it however you want to say it, but it's, it, it doesn't have the distinction that it, that, that it does in the Greek language where you can interpret life, uh, 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 several words, life, and they mean totally different things. When we talked about Jesus as the light of the world, in John 1 verse 4, said that in him was life and that life was the light of the world. That life was Zoe life, the God kind of life. But there's other life that isn't the God kind of life that you, if you know Greek, you're able to understand the distinction when you read a passage and you can get the full meaning of it. When it talks about the cares of life in the parable of the seed and the sower, that's bios, life. The things that pertain to your physical needs and stuff being met or your physical desires. There's also suke, the things that pertain to the soul. But when Jesus refers to himself as the bread of life, or when the Bible says that he is the light of the world, in him was life, and that life was light, it's talking about zoe life. Life that God created in us before the fall. The fullness of life that Jesus expressed of God 
in this world. That life of God that was a light in this dark world. Life at life that isn't created because God wasn't created. He is life. Life that is eternal. Life that is uncorrupted, uncorruptible. Life that does not die. So, when Jesus declared himself the bread of life, we'll start in 22, but I I think it's important, uh, y'all know me, it's important to have context. He declared himself the bread of life. We have to consider who he was talking to. The more we know about who he was talking to, the better able we will be to discern the issue he was speaking to or why he said what he said. Jesus is speaking to a crowd of thousands. And when we get into our story today, he's speaking to a crowd of thousands that have begun to follow him. And I believe in order to fully grasp his message to that crowd, we need to know their motives their motives, their desires, their reason for following him. Because Jesus was speaking to them out of his understanding of those things. Uh, The Bible says in John 6, verses 1 and 2, you don't have to worry about, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, but this isn't going to show up on the screen. After Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. They were following him because they saw life, Zoe life. They were following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. He was healing the sick. He was making the lame whole. He was opening blinded eyes. He was opening deaf ears. The crowd saw those things, and you know what? They were willing to upend their lives. They were willing to come out of the doldrums of their life and follow this guy wherever he went. And as he continued to do it, the crowd continued to swell. And next thing you know, he's got not one, not a dozen. He's got thousands of stalkers. Not giving him a moment's peace because they see something that he has and they want it. And right on the hills, this crowd followed him. And they were so focused on following him that they found themselves later on in that book, in that same sixth chapter, they found themselves, it got late into the day, and they didn't have preparations made for eating. And everybody had to try and figure out where do we go? How do we feed our kids? It said the crowd had 5,000 men plus women and children. You could easily double that. So we've got you talk about megachurch. He's, he's got a megachurch following them around, and now they're all hungry. 
And Jesus does what ends up being another sign. While everybody is trying to think of the practical ways that they can get their needs met, Jesus says, told his disciples, have them all sit down. I'm about to reveal a different aspect of myself to them. I'm about to reveal to them a part of who I am. And he fed them. Two fishes, five loaves, he miraculously provided provision for everyone. And everyone ate till they were full and there were 12 baskets left over. And we can marvel at the miracle, but the miracle wasn't his mission. The miracle was a sign and evidence of who he was for those who had ears to hear and eyes to see. The miracle was an attention getter, not the star. Okay? And so, uh, going down to uh, verses 12 to 15, he says, And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign, so verse 2 They were following him because of the signs of healing. Now we have miraculous provision of bread, the fishes and loaves. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So we have a large crowd following Jesus. They followed him across the Sea of Tiberias because they saw the miraculous signs of healing. Huge crowd. The number, I think we make more out of the number than it needs to be. It doesn't matter if it was 5,500 or 50. We know it was 5,000 men. Uh, We don't know the exact number, but I say you can, you can easily double that and say there are probably 10,000 people total. But Jesus' intent was not to wow them or us with the numbers. His true intent was to reveal a critically important aspect of himself, both to them and to us. Are you hearing me? Now, we just found out in that verse that I just read that the crowd thinks that Jesus is the capital P prophet who is to come into the world based on the signs that they've seen and experienced. That's why they're chasing after them. And let's try to get ourselves into the minds of the crowd here because this message, while relevant to us today, is originally delivered to a crowd that lived in a different time a different culture, a crowd that had a different history. Let's see what we can find out about this crowd. This crowd represents a people whose ancestors God delivered from Egyptian bondage 2,000 years earlier. This crowd represents those same ancestors When they refused to go into the promised land, they had to be in the wilderness for 40 years. Those same ancestors, God fed bread, manna from heaven for 40 years. 
as they were led by Moses. He fed them for 40 years in the wilderness from bread with bread from heaven. And the crowd also knows of the prophecy in Deuteronomy 18 that speaks of a prophet like Moses that God would raise up from among Israel. A prophecy that was understood to be about the coming Messiah. So it's that knowledge that have them seeing those signs differently. Then you and I would have seen those signs if, in our day and time if they were to happen. They're looking at this guy. Could he be the prophet? They've even declared them to themselves. He is the prophet. And they were going to take him and make him king. Think about this. If he's the one, if he's the Messiah, think of the audacity of the crowd that they're going to pick him up and forcefully make him what they think he ought to be. And we've got to be careful about that because there's a message in that for us because we, human nature, we tend to want God to fit into our bios. If he presents himself another way, God, if he comes to us wanting to present, wanting us to feed us Zoe, we might, we might be tempted to reject the Zoe because we want him to feed us the bios. We want something that we can wrap our arms around, something that we can understand, something that we can control. Something that makes sense to us. Jesus is there ready to reveal something of himself. He wants to feed them bread they know not of, but they want bread they know of. They want to eat like their ancestors eat, ate, right? And we've got to be careful about that. There's a message in there for us that's relative to us that, that, that can help us not fall into the same mistake. You know, this is stuff I have been guilty of that God's had to deal with me about and continues to have to deal with me about because I tend, human nature, I tend to want God to fit into the box that, that I feel he needs to fit into for my good. When God's trying to get me out of that box and, and he wants to take me into the deep water, he wants to take me into the Zoe life. So the crowd has knowledge of the word of God. They're not ignorant of the word. They believe he's the prophet because of what the word of God says that they will see uh, 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 when the person comes who is that prophet. They're seeing the signs. And because they see the signs, they believe he's the one. And, and in a certain sense, they're right. There's a reason that husbands, wives, and their children are out following this guy throughout the terrain and crossing seas to wherever he goes to continue to hear him speak, to be in his presence. They are following the right guy, but they're not necessarily following him with the right motives. I want to challenge you today, church, to check your motives. Why do we follow Jesus? Why are you here? Why do you come? Do you come here? Do you come to church for, for God to 
provide you with the things that pertain to your bios life, the life that, uh, that pertains to your physical needs and wants and desires? Are, are, are you here for what you can get from God? Are you here because of a need that you want him to meet? Are we here for self-centered reasons and motives, or are we here acknowledging that he is enough? That if I can get into the presence of God and, and, and hear what God wants to say to me, uh, what God wants to do in me, that is enough. That is the bread that I need today. And I'm not being ignorant to the fact that I may have a bill that needs to be paid. My stomach may be empty and, and I want to feed. It doesn't ignore the bios needs. That's just not what our pursuit should be. And that's why Jesus said, don't worry about food that you shall eat or clothes that you shall wear or where you're going to lay your head. Your father knows you have need of those things. You seek the, the, the righteousness of God. Seek the kingdom of heaven and all its righteousness. Let that be your pursuit and trust that God's going to provide your needs. Don't pursue the bios, pursue the zoe. Don't just come to church and just focus on your needs. You have a heavenly father that knows your needs, that cares about what you're going through, and is, more, is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you could ever ask or think. And he is for you. He loves you with an unfathomable love. There is no need to worry whether God's got your back and whether he's going to bless you with what you have need of. But the same God that loves you is the God that wants to lead you into the things that he's created you for and called you to. And he sees the things in your life that need to be dealt with and need to be changed. And so you, you might want him to lead you a certain way because you want to follow him and maintain a certain standard of bios. And God is like, no, 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 for your well-being, for your spiritual development, you need to go in the very path that you wouldn't go in yourself because there are some things in you that need to die in you. There are some areas of your life that you need to surrender to me. There is a, there is a learning that you need to undergo of how to trust me in things that you can't see or understand. All right? God wants us to be with him in an intimate relationship. Where the circumstances don't matter, the need doesn't matter. All that matters is God and that he's with me, that he's for me, that he's, he's all, he represents all that I need. I, I hope you're hearing the heart of that this morning. Because the crowd came there, even though they were following him, and had a sense of who he was. They weren't open to hearing from him how he wanted to present himself and what his plan was for them. They had an idea. They were going to make him king. Why would they make him king? Well, make him king 
they had the same misunderstanding that Christ's disciples had when they said, are you going at this time going to restore all things? Are you going to get us out from under this this oppressive Roman rule like our ancestors, like you did for our ancestors when they were under Pharaoh's oppressive rule, when you sent Moses there to say, let my people go? And he said, I, well, Lord, when I tell them, who, who shall I tell them to send? He said, just tell them I am sent you. I am that I am. And here Jesus is in the gospel of John is bringing it out that Jesus is, is, is playing off of that I am statement. And he's, he, he, he's, he's tunneling down into it and being a little bit more detailed in it. Uh, what all is incorporated in that? I am the bread of life. They're expecting. They're, they're, they're expecting God. If this is Him, well, He's obligated to change my bios, to make my life more in line with what I would believe is favorable for my life. To make, to 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 to, to change the circumstances and take us from being the tail to us being the head over the Romans. God, I want a girlfriend or I want a boyfriend. Well, if I'm going to follow you, I feel like you're obligated. There's promises. I'm following you for promises. Well, my bios has needs. Feed me. Feed my bios. And I will follow you. Fervently, I will follow you passionately as long as you are doing what I feel like you ought to do. But if God presents himself in a different way and God emphasizes life, he defines life differently than how we define what's important in life, that's where the rub happens. We won't do this whole chapter. God's mercy is too good for that. But it doesn't change the fact I mean, we're going to do most of it, so you're not getting off scot-free. But it always amazes me that you have this thousand that believe, they know, they see the life of God on him. They know he is of God. They believe he is their prophet. They see the signs. And they so are passionate in their belief of it that they follow him in and everywhere. He can't get a moment's peace because the crowd is trying to eat up everything that they can. But by the end of the chapter, around the mid-60s, 65, 66, on down to the final verse of 71, this crowd of followers that swelled to thousands gets reduced back down to, I don't know, maybe a few dozen or so, or a few hundred. It goes from 10,000, but most of the people left him and they never followed him again. And it makes you think, these excited people, these people that were convinced they were going to make him king, they were convinced in who he was. But by the end of his Message by the end of his dialogue with them, some of them, a lot of them, most of them said, This is too hard. We got to go. 
Well, they came to him wanting him to provide a certain standard of life. They came with him with a certain expectation. They came expecting him to fulfill their life values and what was important to them. And when he defined what was important to him, when his definition of life and values and what was important to him didn't match theirs, They decided they had to go. And I think we all, at some point in our faith, we reached that crossroads. We realized we're playing tug of war with God. And, and there are things we don't have a problem yielding to him, but there are other things we, from my cold, dead hands. This is, I, I, I have a struggle releasing this to God. I have expectations that I place on God. And God, you've got to come through in these areas because if you don't, then what's the point of me following you? We don't say it like that, but that's the heart behind it. That's where, that, that's where the, the, the crisis of conscience, that's where the conviction of our faith begins to wane a little bit, right? Because we expect, he says, he'll do this, this, and the other. And I expect him to do those things. And if there is any any doubt in those things, then what, then, then what am I doing? And Jesus the whole time is saying, you know what? I, 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 I like I will do sometimes, like I start getting ahead of myself and preaching the message. But, but that's their expectation. They have an expectation that the Messiah, when he comes, is going to benefit their individual life, their bios, in a certain way. He's going to need to be king to do that. He's going to need to take out our enemies to do that. He's going to need to change society in a way to do that when God is not bound by any of that stuff. Right? I mean, the church grew and flourished and and, and it's global now, despite the attempts of the secular government at that time and, and the religious order to wipe it out. Not only did it survive, it has thrived, it has grown, it has flourished, because you cannot put out the flames of God. What God has begun, man cannot put to an end. What God wills, will come to pass, and there is nothing we can do to prevent it. Right? And we have to be settled in that. Right? And so, but they came and they didn't know that. They had certain expectations. And their expectations, their desires, what they wanted from the Messiah, is, it, it, it colored their perspective of what they were hearing. And so after he fed the thousands and right after uh, uh, they were going to make him king, you notice he didn't want any part of that. He wanted none of that smoke whatsoever. He's, he stole away because that wasn't his mission. He came here to redeem man. He came here to, he came here that, that, that man might, mankind might have the Zoe life of God that was robbed from us by sin. He came to pay that sin debt and give us the Zoe back that God created us to have. Amen.
And so, let's go with uh, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? He doesn't even answer their question. He says, he answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. He deals with their motives. Here's my question earlier, why are we here? When we come before God, why do we do it? Are we coming so that our bellies can be full? Whether that means literally I need a meal I haven't eaten in a week and somebody give me some food, or is it some other provision that we're coming and, we, and we're expecting that, the, that our coming, that God is obligated to fill that need. But he, he, he addresses their motive. He tells them what, the, what their motive is. You're not here because you saw the signs. You're not here with an open heart to hear what, who you believe is the Messiah, what he has to say. You're here with the heart of what that Messiah can do for you. That's why you're here. So you have self-centered motives. Motives. I'm not here to cater to your self-centered motives. I'm here to give you Zoe. God's not here to cater to our self-centered motives. He's here to give us Zoe, right? And, you know, there was a time after I came to the Lord and, and God really got a hold of my heart, uh, and I, I can only describe it as childlike faith, there was a time where Jesus was enough for everything, right? It was, all I wanted was more Jesus, that's all I wanted. That, that, that was my heart's desire. Uh, all of a sudden, I started craving the word. I'm in the word three, four hours at a time. I'm in the word when I couldn't go to sleep in the middle of the night. I'm in the word. I'm thinking about the word in the shower. Everywhere I go, I'm thinking about Jesus and, 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 and what he's done for me and wanting to know him more and more and more. I had an insatiable appetite. At some point, though, that passion began to wane, and I began to have expectations. And I began to pursue him with the hope and expectation for him to do stuff for me. And I'm not necessarily vilifying that. It's just that at some point, that got out of balance. And when I didn't get what I wanted, that caused me to question the very Lord that, that, that died on the cross for me and whether he was really listening to me, whether he really cared. And because I was, the perception of our relationship revolved around my self-centered motives. If things fit within the box that I felt that they should fit into, I had happy, happy, joy, joy feelings toward God. If it didn't, then there was a problem. Somewhere along the way, and I had to ask myself, when did Jesus stop being enough? When did I begin to need 
something in addition to him? When did the pursuit of him stop being enough? And he became a means to me acquiring other pursuits. I don't know if that's you, but that has been a struggle in my walk with the Lord that the Lord has had to deal with me on to keep him the center, to keep him the focus, for him to be enough for me. Just seek me. Seek my will for you. What am I saying to you? What is what is it that I am doing in your life right now? And be content with that. Don't worry about if that spouse that you're praying for is out there or not. Let Jesus be enough. So what if your friends are just seem to be getting married every week? A new friend. Oh, she's engaged? Oh my goodness. Where's my pursuer? Don't worry about it. There is one who pursues you who, who gave his life for you. And he has a hope and a future for you. And he will lead you according to his will. And when the time is right, the one he has for you, y'all's paths will cross. But don't let that be your pursuit. Continue to pursue God and his will for your life. Pursue the Zoe that he wants to feed you. Because those other pursuits, if you're not pursuing Zoe, you're pursuing something that will perish. Even that loved one that you're pursuing or the one you're praying to God for, that, that spouse, it's days or number. That flesh it's not going to be with you forever, right? Even, you know, I would even caution you against uh, being so focused on wanting God to map out your future, your plan for you. I want to know, God. I want to know. I want to know. Give me the blueprint. Where am I headed? I want you to let him be enough even as it pertains to that. Lord, I want to be like Abram. I want you to go that way and keep going that way and I'll let you know when you get to the place that I'm telling you to go. Lord, I don't need the details. I just need to know if you're with me. I don't need to have my future mapped out. I just need to know you because uh, uh, as long as I'm pursuing you, as long as I'm feeding on your Zoe, I know you're going to direct my life. You're going to direct my footsteps. You will get me where you want me to go and you'll reveal each step to me as I continue to pursue you. I just want the, I just want the bread from heaven. Does that make sense? So he questions their motives. You're seeking me not because you saw signs but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And sometimes the bottom line is, 
we have these faith statements that we say, I'm just believing God for this. Do, are we? Do we believe in him? Are we, are we sweating it? Are we, are we struggling? Are we really fervently praying and so forth? Because, you know, we feel like we got to work hard to get God's attention and to let him know how urgent the situation is and, and to move him to move on our behalf. Or are we resting because we believe in him? That the things that pertain to me, that according to his will, he's going to, he's going to lead me into the accomplishing of those things. And those things that are not, that he knows are, will work against how he wants to work in my life. That will be a hindrance to me, then he's not going to let me walk in those things. So, so I'm, I'm just going to trust him. That he, he knows the plan for my life. I don't need to know it. I need to know the one who knows it. What he wants to do in me now. What he wants to do in me next week. Next week's not promised to me. He knows it, whether it is or not. I don't. I can live in the here and now and say, God, all I need is you. All I need to hear is from you. I want to be like Moses in the wilderness when you told him it's time to go. Get the people up. It's time to go to the promised land. He says, will you go with us? Because if you don't go with us, I don't want to go. I'd rather stay in the wilderness with you than to go to the promised land without you. What matters to me, God, is you are in my life in a real intangible way. That is enough for me, regardless of the circumstances. I might be in the wilderness, but if you're in the wilderness with me, praise God and hallelujah. I've got everything that I need. I don't need a pillow, a soft pillow to rest my head on. I'll rest my head on a rock if you're here in the wilderness with me. Because I'm hungry, not for you to cater to my bios. I'm hungry for your Zoe. The God kind of life. Your divine provision, the things that pertain to eternal life. What sign do we do that we might see and believe? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. That's the work. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Talk about audacity. They're following him because of the signs. That he's already done. The reason this crowd is behind him and following him wherever he goes, they saw him heal the sick. He just fed all of them from a meal of two fish and five loaves. And, and, and they were so convinced that he was the prophet that they were going to forcibly make him king. And now they're asking, what sign do you do? <laughs> that... Oh, my goodness. That we may see and believe you. What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Satan, they said, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. When God presents himself in a way that, you know, in an unexpected way, we have to be willing to at least be surrendered and humble enough to go with him where he wants us to go. It didn't make any sense for Peter to get out of that boat and think that he could walk on the water, but it didn't make any sense to them in the moment that someone could walk on the water. Yet Jesus was doing it. And Jesus called him out of the boat. He said, Lord, if it's you. See, that's what I love about Peter. For as much as as he was a knucklehead in some ways, He was a guy who, he knew no boundaries. He was a guy that was willing to do the unconventional, willing to do the thing that made no sense if God was in it, if God was calling him into it. And because he was, you know, there was no precondition, no, you know, my will over yours, God. He said, Lord, if it's really you, then bid me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And that was enough for him. I know we focus on him getting his eyes off Jesus and sinking, but to me that pales in comparison to him being willing to go out there in the first place. He said, Lord, if it's you, then I know I can come to you on this water. I can, I can do it if you bid me to come. And Jesus is bidding this crowd to eat the bread from heaven. You know, you can't just come to church, listen to a word, sing a song, and then go on and and live your life the way you want to live it the other six days. Jesus is a meal you have to consume. We have to sit down at the table and we have to consume. And, and, and we're going to need to be hungry for him, right? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled, right? And so if you, you, you can't be filled watching somebody else eat. You, you can't just sit at the table and, and, and take in the smell. Mouth drooling like my dog Shaq when he's waiting for, while you're, while you're scooping his food out, Oh, my goodness, now we got to get the towel or a mop and mop up all this stuff on the floor. If you wait too long, you're going to get drool on the floor. But that doesn't fill us. The only way we can be filled is if we consume what God wants to feed us. Right? It's the old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You can bring somebody to church, but you can't make them eat. You can come to church, but that doesn't mean you're eating what God, want, what God wants to feed you, right? And so Jesus is saying to us the same thing he's saying, saying to this crowd. I've got bread from heaven. In this bread is Zoe life. I am the Zoe life, the bread from heaven. Come, you've got to consume me. you got to believe who I am. I'm not just the prophet. I am the Messiah. I'm the one come from heaven. 
I'm the Lamb of God who come to take away the sins of the world. You've got to embrace that. And you've got to make him Lord of your life. And, and you've got to embrace the cross. You've got to eat his flesh and drink his blood. That crowd understood what Jesus was saying. They understood that basically he was saying, I'm God coming to flesh. And I'm not here for the reasons you think I'm here. Sure, God can heal. God still heals. God still miraculously provides provision and all those things. But, 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 but that's, that's not the sauce he wants us to get lost in. He wants us to get lost into his godly mission. They say, give us this bread always. And he tells them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe, and that the Father gives me, I'm sorry, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Right? And in so being an example to us, that we're here not to do our own will, but the will of him who called us and sent us. If we're going to follow Jesus, we need to follow him in that. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. He's, he's revealing his mission. I'm here to give you eternal life so that when the last day arrives, right, as many who will receive him, God will raise up on the last day to eternal life with him rather than eternal judgment. I, he's thinking in terms of eternity, not in our boxes, but eternity. As it is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God and has seen, he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. You're going to have to consume who Jesus, who the Bible says Jesus is. You're going to have to consume his word. You're going to have to consume him. You're going to have to make him Lord and Savior. You're going to have to bow the knee and declare him to be who he is, Lord and Savior of all. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. He's pretty blunt, isn't he? Your fathers ate the manna that was provided to them in the wilderness, and they died. That wasn't a manna that could give you everlasting life. It was a manna that could sustain you for a season. But they had to continue to get more manna. They had to continue to, to eat on it. That, 
They, they ate that manna and they died. There's a different manna before you today. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed amongst themselves. Here's where it starts to get hairy, right? The Jews then disputed amongst themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He wants life in you. He's not here just to improve your life. He wants life in you. The Zoe life of God in you that, that, that's manifest in and through you so that people might see that life and it be a light to them that draws them. What is it about you? There's something drawing me to you and you have an opportunity to present the gospel because they see the Zoe life of God in operation in your life. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. He wasn't just preaching on the street corner. He's in the synagogue talking crazy. They know his parents. They know where he grew up. They know where he lived. And yet, he's making himself equal to God. How can he come down from heaven when he lives on Baker Street? I have uh, some other verses. You see them in the bulletin. We'll just continue to read on. Um, One thing that I wanted to highlight in there is that Jesus consistently said that the Father sent him. He's the bread sent by the Father, sent by God to us. So our Heavenly Father is feeding us the meal he wants us to eat. And we need to consume that meal, the meal of his Son. And all that it represents because more important than our quality of life on this earth is that we have the life of God real and in us.
I would love, well, I don't know if I'd love to, but, you know, to, to tell you that you can, hey, have whatever you want, name it and claim it. God's going to give you whatever your heart desires, but that's just not biblically sound. I, I would not be loving you well. I would not be teaching you sound doctrine <laughs> from the scripture if I were to do that. Because it's not about what we want and what we desire. It's about what God wants for us and what his desire is for us, right? It's about us walking in the purpose and will that God has for us. Because this glorious gospel that we have is not just about us individually, right? This is something that we're supposed to be taking out to the world, to those who are still walking in darkness, and that's something that each and every one of us ought to be doing individually. And we ought to be doing it corporately as a church. But each of us ought to be mindful, prayerfully, uh, in our time with God, being sensitive to how God wants us to spread the gospel in our various spheres of influence. We don't have to be belligerent. We don't have to be obstructionist about it. We don't have to be rude. He, you know, uh, love has no enemy, right? So, God, how would you, the way you've gifted me, the way, uh, uh, the way you've wired me, how can you use this vessel? How do you want to use this vessel to tell those the gospel that they may not have heard in truth before? Who amongst my peers doesn't know you? Give me a heart. Give me the ability to discern that and give me a heart to go after them. That I might pull them out of darkness into your marvelous light. Because your heart is that everybody be filled with the Zoe life of God. They're going to need to be fed the bread of life for them to consume it and have life everlasting. Amen? And this... And John 17 says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, right? And so we want them to know God. Uh, John 17, uh, verses 4 and 5 and 7 and 8, I'll read. Those were in the scripture list I provided. Jesus said, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This goes back to John chapter 1 where it says that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God, the Word was God. Amen? Uh, all things were made by him and not anything that was made was made without him, right? And then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know, Jesus did not just come into being when he was born by, born by a virgin. He existed before time. He, he existed before the world, the earth was created. And before creation, he was with God. When God, he was a part of the Godhead that looked upon the chaos that was and said, let there be light. And went about creating and went about the work of creation. Verse 7 Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. 
For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you have sent me. One of the uh, uh, scriptures that I had skipped was that Jesus had said that he made it clear that God has given him the ones that believed in him. That no man can come to God lest he be drawn. No one can come to Jesus unless they are drawn to him by the Lord. By the Spirit of God, right? We can give the gospel. We can uh, share the good news, right? But we can't make people respond. The people will respond as the Spirit leads, as the Spirit draws. Our response isn't to save people. Our response is to declare the message. To care enough and love enough to declare the good news and trust God that on those whom the Spirit is moving, they're going to respond and they're going to eat the bread. So that and they're going to have Zoe life because we were faithful to God in the furtherance of the gospel. Are you hearing me? But I just want to, just getting back to um, uh, the main scripture in John 6 today. I'm going to read past uh, verse 59, and you can just listen as we go. But verse 60. I don't think any of us right here today have a problem with what Jesus just said to that crowd between verses 35 and 59, that he is the bread of life, that they're going to have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. They had a problem with it because they knew <laughs> what, what, what he was saying. He was presenting himself as something more than they expected him to be. Hey, when we, hey, we thought you were the prophet. You wouldn't let us make you king. Now you're telling us you're making yourself equal with God. You're saying you came down from heaven. These are hard sayings. I don't, I don't know if I can accept that. Verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Now, I got to give him a a bit of a pass here. It's hard to be looking at a man talking to you whose birthday you are aware of. You know he was born on earth. He's walked the earth. You're seeing this flesh and blood guy, and he was like, well, I came down from heaven. I'm the bread from heaven that God has sent for you, and you're going to have to eat my flesh. You're going to have to drink my blood. Wouldn't that be a bit hard for you? What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. 
The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. You can't get these. You can't get the interpretation of this if you come to God. If you come here trying to get God's word to fit within the box that you want it to fit into, you're going to have to be open. You're going to have to have ears to hear what God is saying. These words are spirit and they are life. What are you saying, God? I don't fully understand it. You're going to have to give me the revelation of this, right? But I'm not going to reject it outright just because it doesn't fit in my box. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it, unless it is granted him by the Father. That's why our motives are going to have to be more than what we can get from God. Right? He, he's going to have to be enough. He's going to have to be our pursuit. He's going to have to be what we're really hungry for. So that when we come to him, we are hungry for what the Lord wants to put on the table. And we're not asking for junk food when God wants to feed us substance that is spirit and life. We don't want to reject what God wants to feed us because we're stuck in our own perceptions and thoughts about what we expect God to be and do for us. And so, yeah, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. In verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Now, I don't know about you, but if I... I'm not, uh, I still got a lot of growing to, to do. I'm not, a, I'm not at megachurch leadership capacity right now. But if that were to happen, it would be crushing for me to one day have thousands in one message. Everybody walk out. And say, so that's just too hard. And I got 12 people here with me. Praise God for the 12 that stayed, but it's got to be a little, it's got it's, it's got to be a, a, a hit to the ego, a hurt to the heart, a punch to the gut to have that happen, and yet Jesus doesn't flinch. He said, do you want to go away as well? But he knows that his, his core followers are, are really with him. But he says, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him. And I pray that this is our answer to God. When we face those crises of faith, when we face that, uh, when we're in the middle of that tug of war, whether we want to control our lives and have God fit within the box that we want him in, or whether we're going to let him pull us in the direction that he wants us to go. Like, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? 
You have the words of eternal life. You have the bread of life. You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. There has to come a time. That saying had to be hard for them to hear as well, what he just told that crowd. Many, the reason they were following him, though, was because they had a certain expectation and a certain desire and a certain motive that they wanted him to fulfill. And when he presented something contrary to that, it was time for them to go. But his disciples, you want to know why they stayed? You know, that there is true discipleship and then there is kind of phony disciples. The real disciple is not moved by those things. He's, they, they're convinced, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know. We don't just, we're not just drumming up this belief. We have believed, we know, we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That does not change because you said something we don't fully understand. That does not change because I'm going through something that I prayed to you that I don't go through. That does not change because I didn't get a yes when I prayed to you for a certain want or need. That does not change because I'm going through a hardship in life. You're still God. Where else can I go? Because it's already been decided. I have decided to follow Jesus. It's, and, and my reason for doing it is because I know you are the bread of life. I know you have the words of eternal life. I know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered, did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is the devil? Man, Jesus is ruthless. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. But I just wanted us to let this speak to us in the way that God intended for it to speak to us, right? This is, it's good to quote, I'm the bread of heaven, you know, and and have uh, a certain understanding of it and everything, but really... Jesus is addressing addressing something deep that speaks to the motives of our human nature and our tendency to want God to present himself in a package that we understand, in a package that that we consider to be good, (laughs) that, that, uh, that fits into the mold of what we want him to do and how we want him to operate in our lives. And he's saying, oh, so you just want me to be on order to fit into your bios, to appeal to your suke, your soul, uh, your soul man and everything. You, it, uh, God is not just here for our emotions and our thoughts and, and our feelings and our desires and our wants and all this other stuff. He's not just here for that. He's here to give us life. In life more abundantly. He wants us to be partakers of.
the Zoe life that's ours in Christ. And he wants us to be walking in that Zoe life. Because if we are walking in that Zoe life, then it is a light that shines bright in the midst of the darkness. And that light will draw. Those who need to come, those who need Jesus. I'm going to ask you to stand. And I'm going to going to say, I'm not going to ask anybody to come up, but just as you bow your head before, before the Lord, maybe this message has spoken to you today and, and there is an area of your life that uh, you've been playing tug of war with God. You, maybe God's convicted you this morning and you have been wanting God to fit into a certain box. You wanted him to feed your bios, the things that pertain to your physical life. And you're now realizing, you're now recognizing that God has been trying to feed you bread from heaven. That you've been looking for God to do things for you. That if he did those things, you know, you feel like those things can, even though you know he was a source of it, you feel sustained by those things. And God is just saying, no. No. I'm your source. I'm your sustainer. Whether you ever get those things or not, that will never change. Just consume me. Just eat the bread of life that I have put on the table for you. Eat it. Don't leave it uneaten on the table because you're wanting God to feed you something Feed your bios something. You want him to put something in the box for you. Forget about the box. Forget about the need. Forget about the desire of your heart. Let him be the desire of your heart. And let him be enough. Get back to that childlike faith. The passion that you had when he was your first love, when, when, when all you wanted was more Jesus. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus as the bread of life. Thank you for your word that is spirit and truth. May we feast on it, Lord. May we feast on that bread of life that you serve us. May we get to that point to where you are all we desire, you are all we need, you are all we want. May we come to that place where we truly can peacefully rest in the knowledge that 
that, that you have the words of life, that you are the Holy One of God, and, and, and that you are our all in all, so that we can rest in pursuing, hungering for righteousness, the kingdom of heaven, and all this righteousness. And we do it in peace, knowing that as we feast on what you want to feed us, the things we have need of that pertain to our bios life, the things that uh, we have need of pertaining to the to the to our lives in this world, you will provide those needs. But we are not to seek after those things. We are to seek after you, O oh, bread of heaven. I pray your grace. I pray your wisdom. I pray that we are all sensitive to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit moves and leads us into all truth. I pray that we are sensitive enough to God and we're humble enough before God that when he does what Jesus did to this crowd and exposes our motives, that we're devoted to him that though others may walk off and leave because it's too hard of a saying and they don't want to be checked, they don't want to be dealt with by God, they don't want to be humbled so that they can repent. When those may leave, we'll be still right there like the 12. Lord, where else, to whom else can we go? You have the words of life. And only you are the Holy One sent from God. Father, we thank you and we give you glory and praise. I ask your blessing on your people, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.